Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, nots? Someone suggested what the fuck ups. How that never got into the rotation, I have no idea. Well, folks, I'm out in the world. I'm out in the humidity. I'm out in the heat. I'm out in Brookline, Massachusetts. I came up here yesterday from New York to do the show at Great Scott. I want to thank all you what the fuckers for coming out. We had a great show. A lot of people came out, and uh, it's all very surprising to me. I really appreciate you guys coming out and seeing the shows. Uh, I've never experienced this before. People coming out to see me. Uh, feels good, and I hope you're having a, a good time. I don't mean to be all sappy, but I've been doing this a long time. And to have people coming out to see me after so long is, uh, is rewarding. All I know is I'm in a city that I lived in for years. I basically started my comedy career in Boston, Massachusetts, and I never fucking come back here. I don't know why. I go back to other cities that I lived in. But I went to college here, and then I lived here for a few years after college. After I hit the wall in Los Angeles, I came back to Boston, got a job in Harvard Square. That's where I met people like Dave Cross, Janine Garofalo, Laura Keitlinger, Chuck Sklar, John Groff. A lot of people you may not know. This is where I saw a lot of comedy. when I, st- I mean, this is really where I started. I'm trying to figure out a timeline on this. You know, right after college, I went to... to to Hollywood, and, and I got all fucked up, and you guys, you know, I told you about that, and then I retreated back here, I went to rehab for the first time, and the only time, did not stay sober after that, that was in 1987, what is it, 88 maybe, 87, something like that, and then I came back here to Boston, I'd gone to college here for five years, and I left college, and I went to Hollywood, then I came back here, and I got a job in Harvard Square, right by Catch a Rising Star. But, you know, it was more about being in college. Like, in 1984, I think was the first time that I did stand-up comedy. And there was a place right up around the corner from here. There were a few places. I tried to do stand-up a few times in, uh, you know, different open mic situations in college. I was going around to the clubs. That's when I met Dave Cross when he was at Emerson. You know, we were at Stitches. That was the first time I met Dave Cross, and he was hilarious then. And then there was another club. The summer of 84, I believe, was the first year, I, the first time I tried to do solo stand-up. I was drinking a lot. I remember I was working at the last, one of the last Jewish delis, and I was working with all these old Jews. This is a very Jewish neighborhood, by the way. A couple of people just walking by in yarmulkes on Yamahas. Nah, just kidding. Yarmulkes on Yamahas. All right, look. So... And I, know, I remember vaguely that I was doing open mics. There was a place up around the corner here called Played Against Sam's. It was a bar that used to have a movie theater where you could drink and watch movies. And downstairs, they had a comedy club. Barry Katz used to run the comedy. They'd walk down the stairs into this basement to do these open mics. And I just remember at that point in my life, I saw you know, Kenny Rogerson. The one memory I had, and it was a, com- it was a memory that happened often. I was living in a converted patio or porch, in an apartment, in a bed, basically outside with screened in, and I decided I was going to try to make the, bloody, the perfect Bloody Mary. I don't know if you've ever done that thing where you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to master this. 
I'm going to master this, this cocktail. And in, the, and, and in the course of mastering the cocktail, I will, I will service my horrendous alcoholism. So like you buy a bottle of vodka and then you buy a horseradish and you buy tomato juice and you buy Worcestershire and Tabasco and, and lime juice. And, you know, I think I spent like a week or so really trying to master that thing. And there's probably I probably have no recollection. Well, I know I don't have any recollection as to whether I did or not. But I just remember going to this place, played against Sam's, and you go and you sign up and you wait around to get on. I remember one night I was waiting around to get on and they, they keep telling you they're going to put you on. They put on everybody in the world. And one night I was there, Kenny Rogerson, who was a very funny guy, was hosting. And he got drunk. And he kept forgetting to put me on. But that night, I remember, was the first time that I saw Dana Gould perform. He looked like he must have been 21 years old. It was 1984. I don't remember you know, how old he was. But I knew that I was watching somebody that had some almost autistic gift for comedy. Dana Gould, when you watch Dana Gould, I always tell people, I say, when you watch Dana Gould, you're like, it's like watching the history of comedy. He can sing, he can dance, he can mimic, he can do voices, he writes great jokes, he's incredibly dark. I don't know if he can really sing or dance, folks, but I'm just saying that he was always a very inspired, a very gifted comedic performer, even when he was like 12. I swear to God, in my mind, he was like you know 12 or 15 years old. I remember seeing him and then I remember watching the crowd just diminish and then going up to Kenny after he closed the show saying, I, what, what happened? He's like, oh, fuck, did I forget to put you on? Yeah, you did. You did. Hurts my heart thinking about it now, all that waiting around, because there's party that really doesn't want to go on. You know, you want to make a big stink about it. God damn it, maybe that's why I don't come back here. I mean, between college... And between starting my comedy career here, I went to college here. That means I went through all that horrible developing, that emotional turmoil, first loves, lost loves, bad haircuts, weird shoes. Hey, who am I? What am I doing? Then I go out to Hollywood. I hit the wall. I come back all broken and fragmented and bitter and angry, hanging out in a coffee shop, working there as a barista, the bitter guy at the milk steamer, learning how to do comedy coming in second in that contest and driving you know, hundreds of miles to do one-nighters with guys who were bitter, driving the headliner out into the middle of nowhere to a bar or a grill that wasn't even equipped to have comics. All that pain and anxiety and expectation and sadness and anger and time. Fuck, man. New England is like a graveyard of my emotions, of my past. I mean, as much as I appreciate my past... I guess there are just some parts of it I don't want to go back to. There are just some parts of it I'm just not nostalgic about. And it's sort of overwhelming to be here because I feel anxious. I feel weird. There's so many things that haven't changed. I mean, there's the way the city looks, the way the... I mean, there's a lot of things that are gone, but the general tone of what's going on here where I'm sitting, I'm sitting in front of a laundromat in Brookline, Massachusetts, doing my laundry before I go to London... And something looks so similar. Something looks so staid about this, about this city. But I am definitely different. Far away from the guy I was when I lived here. It's sad, but it's also good. Let's listen to this interview I did with Dana Gould. I feel like I'm getting melancholy. My oldest yeah. daughter is 
she's got the circus in her. Oh, heart. really? Yeah. What do you mean the circus? She, you know, she's already she's in. Well, she's going into second grade. She she wrote a play. Oh last God, week, uh, that circus. Scooby Doo and the Incredible Misery. <laughs> oh my God, she's following in your footsteps. Yeah, no, she is. What's the Incredible Misery? Um, she doesn't like her. <laughs> Scooby Doo doesn't like his snacks. Now, the, the Incredible Misery. Yeah, it's a great title. It's, it, it's that's, so, great, that's so Dana Gould. She's seven. Who is the guest in my garage right now, whose yeah. seven-year-old is writing plays. That yeah, include the, 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 incre- the Incredible Misery? Yeah, Scooby-Doo <laughs> and the Incredible Misery was her play. Is it a riff on mystery, though? I, mean, I think it was, it was, yeah. But she did. She's already, I don't know what it's from, but she already says stuff like, I abhor that. Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, where did she get that? I mean, she must hear you. Well, she hears. Uh, uh, we're pretty verbal, but also, you know, just they're always um, like uh, Nick Jr. or something. They just pick up a word and they'll just a like, bo- oh, so a cartoon character yeah, said might, that, or like yeah, they have. Well, there's you know you don't know this probably on Nickelodeon or Nick Jr. They have like starter sitcoms like The Sweet Life with Zach and Cody uh-huh. or um, True Jackson um, with our friend Greg Proops. Um, and and they're like training sitcoms to watch sitcoms for kids. Later. Yeah, they're oh sitcoms for kids. Yeah. Multi camera. What's well, it's nice that, that I guess the cartoon characters in these these uh, these kids shows are that have characters that are lofty in their language. I mean, like yeah. it's interesting. Like your friend Tom and and Greg and the guys yeah. who do these uh, these um, these voices are yeah. intelligent guys. Yeah, and they're very bright. It, it's nice that, that at least kids can model their their language after something impressive. And having had to watch SpongeBob on a daily basis for years now, <laughs> uh, it's great. It's a very entertaining show. And I like I often find in movies, you know, usually the kids' movies are the only movies that don't insult my intelligence. Really? Like I found yeah. I found uh, this is a lofty example, but I found Up a lot more respectful of my intelligence than Iron Man 2 was. <laughs> you know? Well, I guess the, I, I can definitely see that. Now, uh, we'll talk about The Simpsons, but I think we should go back. Yay! Let's go <laughs> Let's go way back. Let's go way back. I, I uh, Like, Dana, the first time I saw you, and it's weird, the more people I talk to on the podcast, it, it, the more I realize that somehow or another, I've, it, I've infused myself into the history of modern comedy somehow. Uh-huh. Like, be, being that I've lived in Boston, Los Angeles, oh, yeah, yeah. San Francisco. Well, we're of the same sort of, we were like people that were in, in terms of stand-up comedy, like, you know, like Liverpool in the 60s or San Francisco in the late 60s, or, you know, yeah, we were, we, we, we were there of, when the wave crested. Sort of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you were a little ahead of me, and that was what yeah. was interesting. When I started doing stand-up... the same stand-up, age, basically. Yes, but yeah, but that's the interesting thing, is that when I started doing stand-up at open mics in Boston, and you know, before I committed to it, that was 1984, probably. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That you you were already working, and you were like 12. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, was, yeah, I How was. old were you? Uh, I was working, and uh, I was 20. Uh, I did my first set when I was 17, um, and I worked because I didn't drink, I didn't do coke, and I had a car. So, <laughs> so you drove headliners. I drove around. headliners. They didn't have to share their coke, and they knew I was a, and they knew I was You'd a, get a reliable home. ride home. But that was really worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I got a lot of stage time, and unfortunately, and I and I'll I'll, I'll regret I'll regret this to my dying day. My um my stage maturity was vastly superior to my off stage maturity right like i was i wasn't i was 20 but i was nine is right, in terms but, of my but like, that's that's normal yeah for a comic but yeah but you i just look back and i just cringe i like i'm i'm paraphrasing kenny rogerson but i was like i meet people who knew me before i was 30 and i just like apologize and walk away <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm i just do a lot done. of that yeah but i'm I don't, sorry i'm so, whatever 
But I, I met you in 1990. Oh. I'm very sorry. I'm but, very but sorry. For what, though? You were never, like, if anything, you were just manic and a little yeah, heavy-hearted. Like, that's a lot. That's enough. <laughs> <That's the thing. laughs> you don't think that's enough? That's, that combination? That's a combination. I thought that was a blurb on a poster for one of your shows. <laughs> manic and, and heavy-hearted. That's, that's really well put. Right? That, that, Bob, Bob Goldthwait once introduced me as the creepily personal Daniel <laughs> <laughs> well, God, but that was that was an amazing thing that you got out of Boston in some respects. I mean, as much like like I remember all those guys and I loved all those guys, but you were already working. You were like 20 years old. And then I remember that I saw you and it was like, holy shit, that guy's got a whole thing. He's got an act. He's got pace. He's got everything. Like I say to this day when people talk about you and I'm happy that you're doing more stand up again. I say watching Dana Gould is like watching the history of comedy <laughs> in a good way. Because when it's done, you feel so old. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. What you're, I, know I mean, what you're that your range best. that like literally that if you chose to do a variety show, like you're well, I can do. I have an a, a, look false modesty aside i for whatever reason i have one ability um uh in life and i can yeah i can do several i skate to different genres yeah as i perform and i do that to keep it interesting but it's also like hamstrung me because i'm hard at a pigeonhole I, you know i, I, I think in terms of if we were to equate ourselves with bands which people always right. do mm-hmm. i i find myself to be you know i i wanted to be the clash yeah, but I'm I'm big star, <laughs> you know. I'm like I'm like the band no one's heard of. The, the only like my that everyone's yeah. forced to respect right. and own their two records. Exactly. I'm like the you know my draw is other comics like the people right. that get in for free. So right, it's right. not a good business model. <laughs> so you're saying that regular people try to listen to your record once or twice a year. They grudgingly appreciate it because they know they're supposed to. Yeah. And they say like that one song seems good, but I, maybe I don't get this. I met somebody recently and. They were, and they said, "Wow, you're one of the most respected comics." <laughs> what a terrible yeah, thing! Yeah, it's say. right. Yeah, yeah. Or the comics comic, or <laughs> yeah. 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 The word yeah. "funny" is like, where's it? Is it? How about "legend"? That's always a bad <laughs> like one. Binoculars looking yeah. for the word "funny." Is there word but, "funny" out there? But I, I, I would probably beg to differ with why uh, you're received. I, I don't think you're hard. To, I don't think you're hard to pigeonhole, and you don't, you don't want to be pigeonholed. But I think that the type of honesty that you, uh, you play with. It's, it's just there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you do it much better than I do. I mean, I will just put raw pain out there <laughs> yeah, and yeah. allow them to laugh at my broken heart. And right. they feel weird for laughing at that. Whereas, yeah. Well, I went through that. I was there. I was exactly well, there. We, we, yeah, but well, you will actually you know, put a lot of work into you know, sort of uh, crafting, you know, crafting the pain into, into bubbles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's well put. Yeah. <laughs> But it still is what it is. Yeah. And, and like I used to say on my, uh, sometimes when I'm performing, I'll say like, you know, this is not, that's not something you see on a blurb for a show. Draining, you know, a must see. <laughs> <laughs> it's not everybody's idea of entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but Cathartic I think- for him. <laughs> <laughs> he thanks you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. If you come out after you do a second, like, I really want to thank Thanks. you because I feel better. Well, I, I, me- I, boy, I spent a lot of time doing that, especially in the early 90s when I did this one man show. Uh, the first one. Yeah. Called okay. Well, let's get, the th- let's get the time one back. So, so you leave Boston because it was limiting? Yeah. I always wanted to live in LA. I never wanted to live in New York. I, I just. But you went to San Francisco, reason. right? San Francisco because I thought it was a nice way station. Between but you, you left around the same time that Bobby Goldthwaite and Tom Kenny left. I went a, ye- a year later. And Paula Poundstone and Kevin Meany all left Boston. Yes. And I literally followed like B- Dan Spencer, Tom Kenny, and Paul Kozlowski right. followed Bob Goldthwaite 
and then I followed them, and we were I was like the social the next and car you got, on that social train. Well, that's interesting because that sort of defined the San Francisco comedy scene of the '80s. That they had their guys, they had Proops and Warren, yeah. and you know Robin John was popping Ross around. John Ross, John Ross, Johansson, and John Ross, and John Ross a huge influence. Ellen DeGeneres, Ellen DeGeneres was there. She had already moved down to L.A. But John Ross, he was a big influence on me, um, performing wise. Huh. If you look at like you know my comedy math, yeah, it'd be like you know uh, Kenny Rogerson plus John Ross. And really, someone else equals me. Yeah, uh, yeah but isn't there like uh, what about Bruce? <laughs> just in terms what, of his energy? On what about stage? Driscoll? Ed Driscoll. Ed Driscoll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm influenced by Ed Driscoll in the sense of I often do impressions of Ed Driscoll. <laughs> So really, that's your comedy map, but, you, uh, but well, to, to me, I mean, in very broad know, terms, right? Because I see your influence on other people, but you know, coming okay. And Albert Brooks's stand-up was a big influence on me. Oh, how good is that? Yeah, just the in comedy his, minus one record. Yeah, because what Albert Brooks did, which is like I, you know, I was always a fan of like George Carlin, obviously, but George will the late great uh, will would take a concept and and attack it like 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 a like a. Like a like Thomas Friedman would Push write it to the edge. Would, but he would but he would attack it the way Thomas Friedman would would write an, an essay like all right um convenience stores yeah bang um <laughs> albert yeah. will just do twice the amount of time on driving to the convenience store mm-hmm. and that's really like what i it makes it easier on you and that's what doing like when the when the dreaded when the dreadedly named alternative comedy scene yeah. um arose that's really how I learned to do what I do because it, it you just just you be funny, right? But you also uh, uh, tell you, a story. Yeah, you but you write the fuck out of things. Yeah, I uh, I do, but I I don't like attack it as like a right like, right right uh, yeah. like a um, I'm like gonna say I'm, yeah right I'm going to tear this thing down and show the hypocrisy right. to everybody right. and tell just, everybody they're stupid right the way I, like because you'd sit around thinking like I'm sure George Collins sat around like like all right what should I what's bugging me what should I write about. Whereas, like, Albert Brooks, just, like, the story about opening for Richie Haven. Oh, Richie, yeah. Richie, your name, Richie. Your name, Richie? <laughs> They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. Uh, you know, that's, I mean, I stole that lock, stock, and barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I should have. I've, I've met him several times because of The Simpsons, and I've never said it. You know, like, Albert, I have to say, I ripped you off blind. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what did you rip off? The idea of structure? I mean, oh, really? just no, his no, no. I mean, just like his, like he, I didn't really rip him up. He no, showed me to just, just, just talk about your life. It doesn't have to be a heavy concept. It can right. Just, just be, tell a story. Like Albert would be just as funny talking about going on a, a right. Disney cruise as it would be about touring. Belson. I think that, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk Brooks about. Tours Belson. Yeah. That would be interesting. To so take. many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Did they wear hats? Yeah. Where's the hairnets? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay. Now you know, getting more towards the the where you were sort of hitting critical mass mentally, emotionally yeah. towards a breakdown. You do the first yeah. one man show, steaming towards because, a breakdown, right? Because you were the first guy that I mean, the press on you early on when we were all doing comedy. I always had a certain amount of envy, uh, but it seems to have dissipated, which is why we're having a fun conversation. <laughs> and <laughs> no, it's always fun because it, it's it's literally when we have a conversation, it is like talking to your reflection, but your reflection has different things to say. <laughs> 
I don't, I think, like, I think do you want to talk to Mark Maron? What's the point? I talk to myself all day. <laughs> well, maybe we could uh, maybe get a little relief. But like you were this, you did the first like one man show in a way that you. you I there did was a, a real one though. I didn't do my no, act yeah, with a I, lamp. Right. No, that's what I did yeah. as well. Not to bring me up again, but but <laughs> it's but, your show. But no, but it was sort of before there weren't a lot of guys doing one man shows at all. And Insomnia got like real critical. You did a yeah. run with it, and it, you know it was heavy. And <laughs> was heavy, uh, didn't you do it? Did Showtime? You did it on Showtime. I right? never did it on television. No, I never did it on. Uh, I, I never did it on television. So what's going on um, there? You were in San Francisco when you did that. I was in. I was. I had just moved to L.A. and I had had a, a Insomnia came about um, where I um, I had I, I had a pan. Uh, you know, I'd done stand up for a long time. Yeah. And you know, I've been doing stand up for about oh, like seven or eight years. And and I, what was your draw though? Because like like you said, you're very you're, you're brilliant. You're respected. You do things something that no one else does. And you were seven years in. And were you disappointed? No. Uh, um. I want I want to get it right. I was. I had been doing actually eleven years. Yeah. So I was in nineteen. Um. No. Nineteen ninety one. I stayed nine years. I've been doing it. And um. I had was living with a girl, and that and that ended, and I took that very very badly. Um, and, uh, and I was just working myself, uh, to death and I was just, um, um, I was really good on stage, but I had no ability to be off stage. So you're broken hearted. Surprise. Yeah. And I just had a panic attack during a show. Um, I had three shows at Cobbs in San Francisco one night. The old Cobbs. This yeah. is a mythic story. Three one hour shows. Yeah. yeah. And I just about 15 minutes into the first show, I was like, I can't do this. And I walked off stage, and uh, and uh, well, it's not as dramatic as that. I I went back, but I I said I I said I had to go to the bathroom, but really I was just like think I just think I can't be here right now. What was the feeling though? You're looking at the audience, and they're all like, "Hey, yeah." And, I, and all I'm thinking is I can't do. I'm I literally. Have you was ever it had a fear? A, yeah. If you ever if you ever had an anxiety attack, it's like no, yeah, your everything is running, but your body. You know, it's like yeah, I yeah, got to yeah. run out of my body. Yeah, but I yeah, can't yeah, get yeah. away from me. So you're like paralyzed. Yeah, and my heart is racing, and I just said, I, oh "Excuse me a second, I don't, I have to go to the bathroom." <laughs> I just walked off stage, but I really remember is walking past Tom Sawyer, who runs the club, going, and Tom he's going, like, "What are you doing? Who's on stage?" And I went, "Nobody." And I walked into the bathroom. <laughs> and did he? Did was there? Did he have to talk you out? Was there a negotiation? No, no, no. I, I said, "I'm fine." I just don't. I, I lied. I said, "Like I, I just got nauseous for a second. I thought I was going to throw up on stage, but we'll be fine." And just the fact that I like walked off stage, I. I I finished right, but then I just I re- I you know I just didn't want to go outside. I just was at a you know I was just a, fortunately I'm not that smart, so I could never outwit myself. In what sense? In avoiding dealing with my shit. Oh okay. You know I, yeah. I have a lot of friends. Um, you know, you you know a lot of people that are they're, they're too clever for their own good, and they never hit the wall. So you, right, so you're saying that self awareness. Yeah. Dan Klaus, if you, if you're familiar with Dan, I Klaus, love his stuff. His new graphic novel Wilson is about. <clears throat> it's not about a comedian, but it might as well be. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's so great. Really? <clears throat> yeah, I love that it guy. Really it just came out. Yeah, Wilson, and it's basically about a guy who who's too clever for his own good, and he never has to deal with his shit, and then he gets to the end of his life, and he realizes it. Well, the, yeah. but the weird thing is, is you know as well as I do that sometimes people who don't deal with their shit do fine, right. and 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 you know there's a lot of people standing around going, well, he's going to hit a wall. They, they, yeah. There's this sort of you know Schadenfreude expectation yeah. that like, 
It, but you know, unfortunately, we never it's get to see it. It's good when you hit a wall, though. It's 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 good for it. I, I yeah, agree yeah. because you know it's yeah. not something you plan on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's not something you plan on. But like, I hit the wall like two, three times. But but because of it, I'm married. I have a family. I sleep at night. Well, let's do this. Uh, so let's go there in the sense. Let's go there. What am I, Oprah? So uh, <laughs> no. So so you have the nervous breakdown. You write insomnia. Yeah. Then I were basically like I you know I wrote my way out of it because it was the only you can I can only write like what I'm doing. Yeah, me know? too. And, and and so that's what I, I had to write. And I got an offer because my act was sort of theatrical anyway. I had this sort of like, you know, I want to be for stand-up what Pete Townsend was to rock. Like, I want to do a show that at a beginning, I always fancied I myself. I want to break like, myself into pieces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I love that. Like, Tommy, I also like the way that Tom Waits did on the Big Time Tour, like to sort of create sure. a, a theatrical experience without theatrical artifice. I love, you know, like, I, I love the idea of doing a play at a carnival. I, right. You know, I don't like the pretentiousness of theater, but right. I like what theater does. Um, so, um, so I wrote it and I just sort of structured my act with a beginning, middle, and an end. And then the Montreal Comedy Festival said, why don't you just do a show? And so I went out and I got a director that had directed this great one-man show called Time Flies When You're Alive about this actor whose wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and what they went through it. And I said, like, a guy named Mark Travis. And, uh, and I said, well, will you help me develop this? And then I went up to Montreal and, you know, as always... Like I did it, they're like, "Well, we just—it's not funny, and uh, we <laughs> oh, wish no. it was funnier." And I was like, yeah. "No, I did exactly what you was." But fortunately, it was a, a big critical hit. It, it did. It yeah. worked. Yeah, it worked great. Uh, but then I, had, but by the time I had written it and performed it and and nailed it, then I was done with it. But then it was like, no, now you have to do it every day for a year. Did you do that? I did it a lot. Yeah, I, I, you know, I did a run in San Francisco. I did a run in Edinburgh. That's right. You were at the the cable it. car theater. Yeah, I, that's yeah, what that I remember. Banned from the improvs, by the way, which is across the street. Yeah, yeah. Politics of that shit is ridiculous. But it was also because I said to the guy that ran the improvs at the time, I forget his name. Um, he had all the improv. That weird the guy, the, yeah. the San Francisco guy. He lived yeah. there, and he kind well, of he like, like flew. He had like the improv in Tempe, Arizona, and San Francisco. But he was sort of an odd guy, Dallas. And yeah, he, and he would just like fly to every club. Like the minute he would get to one city, he would fly to another city, and, and then, like sometimes he'd be and the, then you'd see him at the gym talking to himself. He right. Was a, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he, like sometimes you could stay in the condo if he wasn't staying there, kind of thing. Like yeah, no, that's exactly. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he, oh, but yeah. he got really upset that I was. The whole point of what I wanted to do was like I'm not doing my act with the lamp. I'm doing a one man show. I want to do it in a theater. And and he was like, "Why don't you do it at the Improv?" It's like because it's not a theater. And then he said, "Like you know, we have Flip Orley down in uh, in uh, who's a who's a hypnotist. <laughs> you know, he's doing a he's doing a show. It's just not taken down in Tempe." And I said, "Here's a weird thing for your comedy club: put comedians in it." And he was. But because they went through that period of like the improv in San Diego became a piano bar, right? And we have a hypnotist in residence in Tempe. Yeah. <laughs> Just serve hamburgers. You're a McDonald's. Serve hamburgers. Get over yourself. And uh, and um, that he took great offense at that. But so you did I, it for years. So that because that's interesting. Because when I did this show based on my divorce, which I had no choice but to yeah, do. Yeah, you don't have a choice. And you know it was gnarly, and and I. But now that I did it, and I did it a few times, and it's in a, in a, in a good place, I, I don't really want to run it anymore. Oh, I'm the same way. I wouldn't do I wouldn't do insomnia again if you put a gun to my head. But but the weird thing is, it it actually becomes funnier. Uh, it, it, the yeah. more emotional distance you have from Absolutely. it. I mean, I fucking did it in Glasgow and I was afraid to even talk to people in Glasgow and yeah. I did this and one. People are horrified. Like, you can't talk about your feelings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, I had that in Ireland too. <laughs> yeah, I had, that. I had that when I did my show in Edinburgh. You, you did do it in Edinburgh? Yeah. Did they just fucking... Oh, I hated it. It was a terrible they, disaster. That's the cultural difference because I've been trying yeah. to put my finger on it. It's just that they don't have the emotional vocabulary of of, yeah. of therapy yeah. and psychobabble. You psycho should be drinking, son. <laughs> 
<laughs> what are you doing on stage talking about it? You should be down pub drinking. <laughs> yeah, they don't really. And they, they think they're being nice when they say that. Yeah, yeah, they mean well. And yeah. they, but uh, but I worked through it, and and it, it's a relief to me. But I was surprised at how funnier it became when mm-hmm. I be, when I because uh, Time Out New York said about the show when they saw the workshop of it, like they said the great thing about this is Marin has no hindsight. <laughs> like he's, like, he's actually going through this horrendous yes, time yes, yes. and i think that the intensity of that do you find that things get gutted and funnier once well, i well i like the you know there's like the blood on the tracks theory that like i i i, I the best work is when you you can't see out of it like just the, the misery of that sort of i like that too but yeah. do, but do you find for an audience because i guess this is where we we are quite similar that i don't mind if people are laughing instead of crying I don't mind if people, you know, feel incredibly uncomfortable, and and I don't always give them the, the relief they desire. Yeah, no, know, I'm the same. I'm the same exact way. Uh, yeah, it's a theatrical experience, and you should you have. You but are we rationalizing? No, I think it's just different kind of. St- it's just a different kind of performance. It's just it's more of an honest type of comedy. But have you worked through your shit enough to know that you know that kind of feeling that we're creating in them is something that we grew up with because yeah, of the inappropriateness yeah. of our I, childhood? Yes. Uh, yes, and it's the difference between sort of like just doing a cabaret act and and being and having like some sort of sense of of for lack of a better term theater. Like right. you know, I, I I like I don't mind an uncomfortable moment. I used to I love taking now that I have enough confidence, I love taking long pauses. Just <laughs> yeah. to the point, the audience isn't right. sure that you know what you're doing because <laughs> yeah. then it becomes it becomes real. I could never. I remember going to the it becomes real. That's the that's the yeah. best part of it. Like there are moments in shows where like the only time I ever really walk off stage saying you know what was great about that is some weird aside. Yeah, that you never said before. Yeah, and and there was, was a. Do you, do you ever work? <laughs> do you ever work with a juggler named? Dot dot dot. Who? Daniel Rosen. He was like a. He was like the guy that's like you know he's like. He really should be a realtor in Irvine. Was it, which city is but this here? I think he was, I don't know where he's from, but it was yeah. this was in Vegas. Oh. But he's you know those people that like they should be selling condos in Irvine. Sure, but they, they just they yeah. have a vaudeville like, but they dress like Fonzie. They dress <laughs> like a rebel, but yeah, it's like yeah. everything is a perfect. rebel juggler. Rebel juggler. Yeah. I'm pushing um, the envelope with these balls. But he was so not that. It was literally just like a costume he put on, like as if I dressed like Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> to do your yeah, act yeah <laughs> um and he had a thing where he would ask the audience like a question and every night his wife would shout out the thing and he would do the funny reaction he would do the same mistake like <laughs> let me grab my let me you know like let me grab my penis i mean Venus. oh you know it was like oh, it was just literally putting a needle on the record and and it just it was so by rote that every night when it came time for his wife to shout out the thing i would just start engaging her in conversation yeah so do you guys live so where is it that you just like to throw her off and yeah, watch yeah. her get really uncomfortable <laughs> because it was so fu- so fake and horrible <laughs> it was just so it was so profoundly offensive yeah i i you know i don't like i don't know always like i guess the question i want to ask you is that because you you're a very efficient writer and you you map your stuff out like a lot of times when i create those moments like there are bits i do in my act that sit there like that and Mm -hmm. i get i find it very rewarding but then i i blame myself it's like well you're just not finishing the joke well, as long as I think no, I, I mean I think you can as long as at the end is funny, not as the joke, but at the end of the show. There's nothing wrong with having a moment that's that's uncomfortable for people. I'll give you a great I'll give you a great example. I mean I'll, I'll quote George Carlin. Um, George Carlin did a bit where he said uh, he was talking about the N word, 
And he goes, Richard Pryor can call Eddie Murphy a nigger and Eddie Murphy can call Richard Pryor a nigger and it's okay because they're niggers. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And to them, it's not offensive. Right. And I just thought that was brilliant because half the people are laughing and half the people are like, holy shit. That's, my friend pretty, John, that's pretty genius. That's pretty genius. My friend John Morrison, who's yeah. African American, yeah, uh, you know we were we li- you know we were friends in college, and um, he was a big comedy fan, and, and we were both Richard Pryor fans, and like I I got special dispensation from him to say nigger if I was using the title of a Pryor album, like I could say that nigger's crazy, yeah, or bicentennial nigger, right, but I couldn't say hey nigger come over here, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? but like and I just thought it was interesting, like how the the. I, the variance of like here's where that's cool and here's where that's not cool yeah but he knows he's my, my best friend he right. knows i'm not racist right you know? but there's it's something like, about i mean yeah. you know i've had conversations about that word in many formats uh with black people w- yeah. without uh, black people but it, it it just comes down to you know some people are offended by that word no matter what yeah and they as they are entitled to that's here's, right and here's a and and you know my dad is a racist. My children are Chinese. My children are adopted from China. Um, just came. I just came back. When I first told my father we were adopting a baby, his first words were "not a nigger." No, no and, come and on. Not in a funny way. No, come on. I'm totally serious. That was such a predictable response that when I told my brother, the first thing my brother said was, "You know what you should do to piss off dad? Adopt a nigger." <laughs> no. Yes. And, without and then, any irony or any sort of... No, uh, oh, okay. with a lot of irony. Okay. My brother's hilarious. Okay. But then I told that exact story to Albert Brooks at a Simpsons party. Yeah. And I said... And then my brother said, you know what you should do to piss off dad? Adopt a nigger. And without blinking, he said, actually, that's an organization. We're trying to get them to change the name. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's just uh, all those moments, you know, everything that we just did in the past four minutes will make someone uncomfortable to listen to. But those are those are designed to do that. As is my point. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. A reaction is good. But, you know, all that stuff is funny, but it's also like. And I um, I uh, I love that. And it's the reason I can. So I have like the stuff that I really enjoy for fun. Like I love like Pee Wee Herman and, and stuff like that because I it's so divorced from what I do just that pure funny it's just funny for funny's sake and it doesn't have any sort of well I think that's what's interesting heaviness about, about it's, you it's so that, much lightness to it is that you will do that you, you'll intersperse that that you will you present something you know yeah. like my balls are filled with poison yeah <laughs> uh, and, and then all of a sudden you have other characters who are like surprise or what was yeah. it uh, what was it uh, uh, mistake mistake yeah. like you that that's how you relieve a certain amount of tension yeah but yeah. i have a lot of admiration for people that don't have a lot of that yeah. heaviness and yeah. weight and can still do it me too i i look yeah. i i like, I, like I, Stephen wright i was just like oh. sure i i look i had a, a fairly embarrassing experience only because i didn't think i would have it when i was going through my divorce and i was sitting on my couch in comedy central played an hour of kevin james and i left <laughs> <laughs> i mean I was, I, I was like there are people and, and they a lot of them are those people that have no self-awareness mm-hmm. that are just fucking funny yeah and they can't stop themselves yeah i mean it's 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 important to them they exude it and yes. if they were and you get the feeling that if they were to stop being funny naturally something horrible would happen yes yes my, that, my 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 brother would fit into that category oh, my really? brother my brother's incredibly self-aware but he's a he's a licensed home inspector he has no affiliation with show business and he's crazily funny i i i, I envy people like that yeah because like we have to second guess it but the other thing i was going to talk to you about making people uncomfortable is like i started 
I started doing a bit again that I, I love the bit and 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 I and I'm surprised for some reason where I, I basically just say, look, I love my mother, but I'm not in love with her. <laughs> and and there's an awkwardness. And then yeah. and then people are sort of like, ah, and I'm like, you can totally have sex with your mother. <laughs> right? And they're just like, what? And I'm like, yeah. I said, just hear me out, hear me out. And I just say, look, you know, like when you're leaving home for the first time, you're like 18, maybe going to college and you know, she, you're the last one to leave the house and, and you know, she's bored with your dad. And there's that moment where she's like, bye baby. You could totally fuck her right there. <laughs> You choose not to because it's the right thing to do, and and I it's a disgusting bit. But the the idea of having sex with your mother is not my idea, and and <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's out there. I mean, the edible yeah. like there's a history of psychology and there's a history of all sure. this stuff. Well, you marry your mother, right? Well, that that's true. All yeah. of that, but in whether the bit is funny or not, I just love blowing the people's minds and making them go like, oh my god, that, why'd yeah. you make me think about that? I know. I used to my opening line for years was, I heard the funniest thing about abortion. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> just to kind of like what? Did, did and, you follow that? Did you? Yeah, follow? yeah. And the whole thing it was it, it went. To, the whole thing was about how um, uh, the whole Roe v. Wade battle is really they just want to overturn Roe v. Wade because they know that then it goes back to the states and that the only states that will overturn it are in the South, which will inevitably lead to more inbred children, which will result in Southern states dominating the Special Olympics, which is what this is really about. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big plan. Yeah, and then somebody once said to me, like, somebody's like, oh, it's nice to see you going to that tried and fresh, all Southern people are inbred bit. And I went, oh, you're um, right. Yeah, I get, <laughs> yeah. I get that too. Yeah. I, I've, I've condescended to Southerners. So let's get to, uh, let's get back to this. So how many, okay, so you had several nervous breakdowns. I had a, I had one big one where I walked off stage and then in July of 1990. That was in San Francisco. Yeah. And then in uh, July of 1994, I, I, I just like basically didn't sleep for a week. Oh, and then you start hallucinating? Yeah, it gets bad. And then I so got- a mania. Yeah. Okay. And then I, I just had, and that was when I just, I had, I had gone home on a visit and it was just, the dysfunction of my family was just at such a fever pitch that uh, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I had so much unresolved anger when I left, I couldn't sleep. And finally really? at the end of the week, I and I was, my managers at the time were- saints they like basically I, like, took me into their house like you're gonna die get come stay I, I remember there was buzz at a time where it's like oh dana's uh, very so, bad yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's something's it's going on yes yeah yeah uh and then uh, but then uh, right after that i i started <laughs> taking antidepressants and i met my you know that's so, sort of like yeah. when i grew up yeah i, I met I, my yeah. wife not long after that well that's i mean i remember that because it was i don't know why it was public but i mean because you talked because i talked it. about it yeah yeah probably. that the antidepressants you know they changed your life yeah yeah great and, and they, it's great still take them every day <laughs> yeah well i i've do, i've done this bit in my act but it, it's, it's true it's like a lot of my like homeopathic venice based yeah. friends yeah. say you know you're still feeling your anxiety you're just masking it with medication it's like yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, what it says on the label. You know, like, you know in the wintertime, I still feel the cold. I mask it with a coat. <laughs> it's raining outside. I've, I've masked it with a roof. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with proper use. Treatment. Yeah. Of that. Right. Yeah. Well, I think there's an old idea that like, you know, you are who you are. You have to somehow, I just, I've, I think as we get older, we realize that like, you know, I'm fucked. And, you know, I got a short amount of time here on Earth. I might not unfuck myself. Yeah. So, you, you know, if somebody can help me unfuck myself a little yeah. bit, I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, there's, it, it's just like... The uh, wiring. 
as as in everything, moderation. Uh, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I I'm trying. I I just quit. I got off nicotine about a week ago. Oh, how's that going? I never. Well, I didn't that smoke, before. but I was on the nicotine gum like oh, really? compulsively, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting because like I'm I'm definitely alive and well in there. Yeah. Like nicotine's a great masker of uh, anger and and. Uh, yeah, and I've never smoked ever. Keeps I mean. you pretty level. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, but I never smoked because I knew, I would. Be Rod well, Serling. In, I would be like yeah, fifty three cigarettes a day. Yeah, but you. I mean, you come from a lot of addiction. I guess. yeah, I come from. I mean, I'm. I'm. An, that's what I say. Like I'm. I'm an alcoholic without the benefit of being drunk. Yeah, you know, I right. was. I was raised by them. Believe me, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> did you? Uh, because of the chaos, did you have to deal with a lot of those control issues? Oh my God! Yeah, I was like, do you know Tom Martin? The uh, comedian, writer. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was a writer on The Simpsons for a long time and a really yeah. funny stand-up. And we both have very similar backgrounds. He picked me up once at my apartment to do something and he walked into my apartment because it was so ordered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just started cracking up and he just went, Dana found a space he can control. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Oh, that's hilarious. But now I have kids, so that's all out the window again. Now, you just got back from China. That's why yeah. we, we were going back Here's the forth. weird thing about China. I, I was there once. Yeah, in China, every town has a Chinatown, but it's the whole town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you find when you're in China, though, it's like, why are they giving haircuts on the street? Ugh. And the more interesting bicycles and things, that, like, I was in Beijing and I saw things that non, non-car non vehicles where I was yeah. like, holy fuck, that's like a house on wheels. You see a, like a scooter and a guy has like three safes based on the, you know, balanced on the back. It's unbelievable. The, the, and it's just, you know, as I've described my month in China, you know, it's the hotel from Barton Fink, but the weather from Blade Runner. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was just How, how does that process, because like, I spent uh, two weeks there doing shows for expats, and I, I found it. Oh, really? Yeah. Where were you? I, I was in Beijing, uh-huh. uh, and I did like three or four shows there, and then I went to uh, to Hong Kong. Oh, interesting. But Beijing, Where the like, money is different. In Hong Kong, you have Hong Kong dollars. Yeah. And it's, Beijing, it's definitely a different feeling. I mean, Beijing was heavy. I mean, it, it felt heavy. It, we were there like for it was right after that spy plane had crashed. The American, yeah, and they were holding people there, so it yeah. was a little intense. Oh yeah, but like I never great time to be there. But but you literally feel like it's it's. I've never felt like you. This is really something. I have no point of reference for whatever's yeah. happening here. They don't do anything to cater to the American mind. There's no signs yeah. that will help you. Yeah. You know, occasionally I'd see a KFC, and I'm like, oh, I know yeah. that one. Well, what year were you there? What year were you there? Uh, I was there before the Olympics, so it must have been like... Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty 2000 American now. 2003, uh, maybe? Yeah, oh, it's, it's actually significantly more American than it was then. Well, well it was before the boom, kind of, yeah. when yeah. I was there. Significantly more American than it, now than it was then. How does a it, lot of signage and... How does it work, to, the process that you went through to, to adopt? I mean, how what, how does it oh, take Oh, you'd it? have to interview my wife. It's it's a ton of paperwork. It's it's changed a lot. But outside you know, of the paperwork, you're going to pick up your yeah, baby. You, yeah, it's like, it's, it takes like, now it takes like four years. And we're, you know, we, our daughter, um, you're matched with your child before you go. Mm-hmm. You go with a group of people. Mm. Uh, we have a lawyer uh, who's a dual citizenship, lives in Monterey Park. Um, you all go over in a group. I know the people that meet you there. I've done this three times now. Um, and, uh, you know, you go with this group of people. You're in a, you know, first you go to Guangzhou, which is where the American consulate is. Mm-hmm. You get your ducks in order. Then you split off and go in mini groups to different parts of the country where you receive your children. You have to stay in that part of the country for about a week to get their uh, passport um, and, and uh, their visa from the local state government. That takes about eight days. 
then you go back to Guangzhou, schedule your appointment with the American consulate to get um, their travel visa approved to the United States. Uh, that takes about a week. And then you travel to the United States. And once you pass through immigration at LAX, they then become your, uh, uh, they become, a, they're not officially, they're American citizens, but you have to readopt them if you, you know, there's some weird thing that you can do much later than if you want to. But the minute you get out of the airport, they're your official uh-huh. child and wow, and thus and such. So this is your third child. The third, and we're done. Uh-huh. And we're done. Um, but the, the trick is we, we go there and, and we went early because we wanted to go to the World Expo in Shanghai and we wanted to, um, and then we got delayed and, and Guang, you know, you go, we went to like Shanghai, then we went to Guangzhou and then we went to Zhongxi. And that's kind of like if somebody comes to America, they went to Boston and then they went to Cleveland and then they went to Milwaukee yeah. and then they went to Banjo Case, Tennessee. Mm. You know, they just, <laughs> and it was just like, it's, and Zhongxi was just, unbelievable uh-huh. and every day is just hot humid rain you know so you know just like it's always raining uh, you know and just even when it's not raining if you walk through the humidity it will rain behind you uh, um so you're just damp and gross just all the, yeah putting on your clothes it's like you're wearing banana yeah. bread yeah <laughs> and then but this is the the weirdest thing i saw uh, yeah. a little sidewalk stand where they had a bowl of live eels mm and a mesh bag full of live toads, and you pick what you want for lunch. Yeah, I, That was the, the most disturbing thing, is yeah. that I went to one of those markets uh, in Beijing, and you know, you, you just, you, you see like, you know, eels, turtles, kittens, pigeons. Yeah. I, were, I yeah, wasn't yeah. clear what they were being used yeah, for. Yeah, there's a pet store, is this the deli or the pet store? <laughs> I, I'm confused. <laughs> exactly. And no, And no one in our group was funny. Oh God. I, I mean, you couldn't like, they eat chicken feet. Okay? Yeah. They don't throw anything away. Yeah. They eat chicken feet. Yeah. And they're just, you can get them at the store in, yeah. a, in a vacuum vacuum seal, vacuum seal bag. And I'm in the deli line and there's a big bowl of chicken feet. And I said to one of the other dads in the group with this one, oh, that's a shame I had chicken feet for lunch. And were they good? He says, oh, oh, Jesus no. Christ. <laughs> Shut up. You know, uh, it's too <laughs> earnest. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't like that. Beaten down. But uh, so there is a junket of people that go. Yeah, there's a junket of people that go. And you get, you've never, like, I, like, walking through, like, a very weird small town in a Chinese province with two Chinese kids and a Chinese baby and a blonde wife. I, like, I have been stared at more than the Beatles at their peak. You know, it's like, it's like. Is it curiosity that you're feeling or is it like those are the people that have come from? No, because most of the people, they don't even know what's going on. Right. Most of the people, they have no idea what's going on. It, it's just like if we just saw like a family of scarecrows walking around. Like, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, it's a scarecrow family. They're all over the place. You, you never seen the, that? Uh, when, you, uh, when you go there, like my brother has three adopted kids. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, d- domestic or international? They're domestic. Is that how you refer to them? See, I don't know yeah. what the language is. Yeah. Okay. Well, like American or not. Right, right. Because like, why don't you adopt American kids? I just say, I don't like Americans. <laughs> the, the way they adopted was they were aligned with or, or, or put in touch with women who were pregnant. Yeah, that's, I believe, called an open adoption. Right. Yeah. And uh, and met the yeah. parent. Now, is that, did, did you go through that? Did no, you? because this is China. 
Um, uh, the reason we adopted from China for people who are interested is there was a book years ago called the one called the lost daughters of China in China because of the population. They have a one child policy where, you know, if you have more than one child, you have to pay a very heavy tax because they want to limit the birth rate because they have a billion people and they can't feed them. Um, although that's changing as the country's open. Um, um, and a lot of these people in, in the sticks. They have a and and, and in like China, in any sticks right, area, right. they oh the other thing about China is if you have a boy, your boy when you as your boy gets older he gets married and then the boy and the son and his wife live with the son's parents and take care of them, and the daughter's parents are effed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people they either have a daughter or they have a second child or they they just leave it at the orphanage like can't deal. They just leave you it outside. Deal. They leave it at the orphanage or they yeah. leave it at a place where they know the kids are going to get found. Right. Yeah. That's like, unbelievable. Yeah. That's how it happens. Um, and uh, that's how my daughters, uh, so we don't know my daughter's parents. They don't know their parents. How old was the daughter when you got- uh, My first daughter was found at three months and my second two daughters were found on like day one or two of well, their that's, lives. Well, that's pretty exciting in that they, outside of uh, whatever- very, you know, uh, I mean, they're young, so the, they're, they're not going to have a sense of abandonment or abuse. No, they don't. As they get older, they have different issues about, like... Do they? Yeah. In, uh, in terms of what, because of what they know what now it, or what yeah, you Yeah, just like them? they wonder. No, they wonder, right. like, you know, we, they, we don't have any secrets or anything. Right. About no, but they, all of them, not just my kids, but, you know, when they're about 13, 14, 15, 16, like, why did my mother leave me? Did she wait till I was picked up? Did she just drop me down and turn away? Really? That that kind of minutiae. Yeah, sort of like, yeah. Just was there any connection? Think. Yeah, stuff. Because they want to connect that emotional core to a parent. Yeah. And I just keep telling you, why don't you think about what you said? <laughs> <laughs> why did you do to deserve? Yeah, that? what did you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all normal. You know, that's all normal. So. And how's the kid adjusting? She's great. She, you know, she had a cleft lip. She was in the special needs program, uh-huh. so she had, so she, you know, she was taken to a different country and immediately had face surgery. Oh. So, you know, she's had a rough, rough go of it, but she's doing great. I think it's great. She's been in L.A. ten days. She's already had plastic. Oh, surgery. very good. Yeah. You, and the uh, and and the other two are excited. They're great. No, they're great. It's fun, and it's just a very different. I never, you know, I, I I'm such a. There's nothing hip about what I do, uh, but I really enjoy it. I like being like a dad that picks up the other. Like, I'll take Lou and uh, my daughter Lou and her friends, like, oh yeah, to movies and stuff. And like, I'm the goofy dad that. That's well, on you TV get a, yeah, maybe you get a chance to have a, a healthy childhood. Yeah, that's what you exactly what you do. You you get to correct that. And, and my kids, I mean, my kids are from. I mean, think of like my kids were adopted in the butthole of China. Yeah. And not only are they adopted and brought to America, they're brought to L.A. and their pa- both their parents are in show business. Yeah, like you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, it, it's crazy. Like I, I just did um, the show True Jackson VP. My friend Andy Gordon. It's a kid show on Nickelodeon, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and. Andy's daughter and my oldest daughter Lulu were about the same age and they played together a lot so when Andy developed the show he named one of the girls after my daughter uh-huh. so like I'm watching it with, do- with Lou and I go you know that girl's named after you Lulu she's like no I know <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she's it's already like, jaded yeah. yeah and we had like a fundraiser our house like she was like uh, like we took him to see the Pee Wee Herman show at, when it was played downtown yeah and it was so awesome was it it was beautiful it was great and then are we, you friends with him yeah oh uh-huh. and we know him and he came to our house at this dinner party like my kids are, hi Wee, we loved your show <laughs> how did he respond oh he's the greatest guy ever he's oh yeah the, he's the greatest guy ever yeah now, and that must be exciting could not could not be a nicer 
warmer person. You know, I'd like yeah. to. I'd like to interview yeah. him. He'd probably do it. I'd, yeah. I've, okay. Well, we'll talk about yeah. that. I. Yeah. Uh, the. I guess like. In, in when you took over, let's move back to let's get back to the the Simpsons, which yeah. we haven't talked about, and then we can. Which I did move. because I, you know, which is specifically tied to me having kids because I was getting married and we knew we were gonna have kids. I was, uh, you know, I I had acted on, you know, to me like the path. I thought, well, I'll do sit, I'll I'll do stand up to the point that I become a successful actor to the point that I can write my own movies. Like, I, you know, I'm the, right, well, the standard like, trajectory, right. right. But it's also like I, the goal was like, I'd love to write my own movies. It, it's sort of like, you know, it's becoming a movie star to write movies is the most bizarre. It's like, if I want to be a pastry chef and if I am elected president, <laughs> they'll have to let me be a pastry chef. It's like, well, there's an easier way. <laughs> I can bake anything I want when I'm president. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's and a I, great way to look at and it. And I'd become a little burnt out on, and, and it was right at the point with the big, like when the boom had really died and there was not a lot of clubs and I was I was tired of but because I started when I was 17 I had been doing it so much longer than everybody else my age and by that time we had all sort of equal equaled out right but what I guess my question but I burnt out on it before everybody else did because I'd been would doing you, it longer would you have burnt out on it had you achieved those goals that you were you were setting out to do the thing is is that the reason the burnout yeah, probably not Right. The reason the burnout happens is, is, you know, you're a brilliant guy. You do inspired comedy. You're unique. And you weren't getting right. the love that you wanted or the yeah. or, or the crowds that you wanted. Yeah. You got the respect, but that doesn't pay the bills. I respect to pay the bills and I didn't want to go like, you know, I knew, you know, look, I feel very confident that if I in 1993, yeah. if I decided, you know, to really go on the road and live on the road and th that I could be a lot more popular than I am now. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't want to do, by that time, it just was, didn't yeah. appeal to me. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like I, 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 you know, I, I love Louis C.K. so yeah. much and I look at him with such, uh, not with admiration because like, it's like, yeah, you're doing that thing that I just don't, like Louis, I look at Louis C.K. and the, and the, the way I look at like Daniel Craig's physique. Yeah. yeah, I could look, I could look like that. I just don't want to do what it takes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to do what it takes. Well, he, but he had, but there, he had a similar turn of events so that you did that. You know, once you know, kids and the the, the sort of impending yeah. uh, responsibilities of adulthood and making your break mm -hmm. and and saying like, you know, I've got to do whatever is necessary. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not bagging. No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, of course not. Well, I'm just saying that it's interesting because like he. Uh, quotes a story sometimes about when Coppola did Conan he was working there and and he did one of those goofy bits uh, he did uh, you know uh, Rotten Fruit Theater right. Apocalypse Now right. and he really wanted Coppola to see it and get his feedback <laughs> but there was a moment that Louis you know Louis is very big on moments and you know elevating them he's like yeah. John Milius yeah. you know like Louis yeah. like you know if he has a oh, problem I, get it. I, get it. <laughs> yeah. I was reading Teddy Roosevelt's autobiography yeah. you know. um, well he said that Coppola turned to him and, and said uh, you know do you have kids and he goes, no, I don't have kids. He goes, well, you're, you're never going to be a real man until you have kids. I mean, what do you, what could you possibly know about anything oh about working? God, that it was just that that was. You know, I'm paraphrasing, of course, yeah, but there was this moment brilliant. That's that brilliant. you know you can't you can't work or do you you've done nothing. That's how could you possibly know? It's so true. <laughs> you know, that, but that, what I'm saying about the precipice of of realizing yeah. adult responsibilities and then wrapping your talent around those yeah needs. yeah. 
That's, I mean, that's a very real thing. Yeah, that's and he amazing. just did it his way. You did, he did it your it way. I did it, but yeah, you're both you know geniuses, so it you know, oh, stop. works. Out. Um, yeah, no, he's great, and I'm not comparing myself to him. But you're both capable producers and and and, yeah. and writers, and you can make television. Yeah, uh, you know, and and in and, and what I'm curious about is that when you took that job, I mean, this was a this was a franchise. I mean, this was an institution. Yeah, I mean, The Simpsons was. It was. Yeah, I was. Were you I, threatened by that? Were you? No, no, I wasn't. I mean, I done. I. George Meyer, who's a legendary Simpsons writer, was a fan of mine, and, and I was, uh, you know, getting married, and, and he's like, would you want to come in a day a week uh, and just punch up jokes? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> Christ. Yeah. And, and I went in, and it was great, and I would go out on the weekend and do stand-up, and I'd come in, and then my, my contract had expired, and it was right at that point where, you know, the, a lot of clubs are closing, the, the, the bloom was off the rose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they, and Mike Scully, um, who's the, the greatest guy ever, uh, who was running the show, just said to um, Hey, your contract's up. Do you want to come in full time? And who wouldn't? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you go in every day, you, you, you go home at six, they buy you lunch. People <laughs> automatically think you're a genius because you <laughs> say you work Simpsons? for the Simpsons. And, uh, and I said, yeah. And just, you know, and that, and then seven years later, I said, hey, <laughs> what have I been? I've kind of taken myself out of the game. Yeah. But um, I mean, but on some level, I mean, you did something with the Simpsons that there was. It, and then it, I grew up. I, 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 and I started the job as a kid and I left it as a man. Like, when I left the show, I was married with two children. And, right. But you. Um, had, but it was interesting is that that show had arced and then you yeah. brought it back up to a new place. Well, I didn't do anything. I was I was there well, during were, a yeah, resurgence. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you were a head writer, right? No, I was just. A, no, I was one of several people with my title. Oh. Of co-exec producer. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, it's just a title. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. I really wanted to make it so much bigger. Wouldn't it be great? It's not. <laughs> it's really not. It's really not. It's like working at Target. It's just like you, if you're lucky uh, enough to get the job, you're there. Well, I was very uh, happy to see that you came back to uh, to doing stand-up. And, and how do you in find... Unlimited way. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, now there's this whole community built around uh, the, the type of comedy that you helped create and, and that there's a you know a comedy nerd community that, knows, that knows who you are. Yeah. I mean, do you find it I, I always musical analogies i'm the andy partridge of stand-up (laughs) (laughs) but but i mean do you find that they're giving you the respect and that the crowds are coming more now yeah but i feel weird like when i go to ucb because a lot of my which is such a great room but a lot of my material is like you don't know what it's like to have kids that's true i mean they are kids and i have to tell i can only do what i do right um I also, but I also think it's interesting. My act is sort of changing because of Twitter, because I like to write. Like I only use Twitter for, for like jokes. Yeah. And so you write these little Stephen Wrighty mm-hmm. kind of jokes, mm-hmm. and I've written a bunch that are stage worthy. Yeah. So now I, I have these little weird lines. So it's funny. Like I'll do a chunk of stuff, and then I'll do like a weird, disassembled line of something like. And, and then I'll do a different thing, but because it's broken up like that, my act isn't as narrative as it used to be. Um, well, what happens so that's when exciting. you do, when that's you do exciting. shorter sets? I mean, if you do shorter yeah. sets, you know, the narrative starts to give, because you want to get more in. Yeah, yeah, it breaks up. But, uh, but I, I think that's exciting, and I don't, and I don't care Yeah. also. Like, I, I know, like, it's a good feeling. Know, people like, you know, don't you, you know, I remember when everybody was just trying to get on Leno and with six minutes, or, not, or, or Letterman, right. not Leno, forgive yeah. me. Forgive me. Um, and and I did Letterman, and uh, you know you did Letterman, and then you know you're on as as Drake Sather said, you're on TV at midnight for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, 
Well, yeah, it's one of those. It's amazing. I spent nine years of my life trying to do this thing that was over in ten minutes, and then I went to see the arrival with Charlie Sheen by myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's always weird when where you're watching your your appearance. Yeah, like that night alone and alone alone in the hotel. Yeah, in the hotel. Uh, Well, I I still like I feel with those things. Like I get to a point where that it's like I need to do one to feel like I'm still relevant. Like Mm -hmm. right now, I seem to be in this mode where it's like. My management, they're like, you know, well, Kimmel doesn't want you in, Fallon doesn't want you in, you know, Conan's gone, and uh, yeah, I'm not really that interested in doing Jay, and I, am I going to do another Letterman? That I, you know, I just think it's part of our job to sort of go, hi, I'm still doing this. Absolutely, no, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I, I, and that's I, the only reason. I exactly know how you feel, and with me, it's, I love to go back on Letterman, but I, I don't, and I love, and I love everybody involved in the show. <laughs> I just, I don't have the patience to have my act gone over with a speculum oh yeah four and a half minutes yeah but minutes. it's also it's like i just don't I, you know the it's dave a, doesn't like references to ice yeah <laughs> right <laughs> you know, it's a, well, because and it's like, like a, and i'm just like fine never mind yeah, yeah never mind fuck it, fuck it. I'm yeah, like, it's it. okay it's like a math problem they make it into a math yeah. problem and 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 the, with other shows like with conan and, and jimmy kimmel it's like yeah sh- show us what you want to do okay great, great. yeah and, and it's, like, it's funner just to sit down yeah too, like sometimes and a, can we just do that can we just, and with jay i that would never happen anyway um personal uh yeah no he doesn't like me um when the sort of alternative comedy scene first came out yeah uh there was a big article in the la times right and uh i it, it was janine garofalo or me yeah. said like we, we, you know we're kind of like the anti-lenos because uh, jay had just taken over the tonight yeah. show and and all it meant was we were just Not trying mainstream. something. Yeah, yeah, we were just trying to be, we were, you know, looking for a place mm. to be experimental, which he took deep offense at. And um, you think he's held on to it? As uh, do you know? I he's know held he's held on. Yeah, I know he's held on to it. And uh, you know, that's great. That's really? but that's where he has to live. He's held on to that. That's what amazes me. Yeah. Like I mean, I have resentments. But I, I don't care. No, I, mean, I understand I, that. Yeah. But I have resentments, and my, my issue with the Tonight Show is like I don't watch it. You know, like I like it's I, not even special anymore. It's like hee haw honeys now. It's right. Like, well, whatever it is, like I, you know, I, I, I grew up with Dave. I love Dave. Mm-hmm. You know, Conan, you know, I was there at the beginning and, and I felt like we grew up together. Yeah. You know, and so I did mm-hmm. a show. Jay, he's touching people. There's it's, 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 you know, it's a circus and I just don't watch it. So my, my intention is not, I don't hate him. I don't yeah. hate them. I just, I don't respect the show. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I don't. Yeah. That's just, like, I don't care. And, yeah. and yeah, there was, a, it was a funny, like I got a call when they were starting to do the 10 o'clock show, like. They want to do. I go on real time with Bill Maher yeah. sometimes. I'd like to do that, and, and yeah. that's a great show. And and they. Say, I was told they have too many liberals. <laughs> that yeah. They do. <laughs> We've got enough liberals. They do. Yeah. Um, but so, say, oh yeah, when they the special segments right on the, yeah on the, on the Jay, yeah. Jay they say hey, we're going to do a test show. Do you want to come in because we want to do a roundtable, and they're like to come in, and I said to the person they called me, I said, <clears throat> I'll do it, but you should you should run it by Jay that you called me. It's like no, it's fine. Can you come in Tuesday? Okay. Just run it by Jay so he knows I'm coming. Yeah, we're not actually we're not doing that segment now. <laughs> okay. oh, <laughs> but I love that Jay's like what sixty? No, <laughs> not the Gould kid. No, yeah. but I like people. Uh, people like you know what happened to him? He was just a victim of that. Yeah, really? yeah. yeah. He's just a regular guy nah. with no children, seven thousand cars. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 gold depositories scattered throughout the country. He is one of those guys that thinks like 
that Armageddon is coming and he has to be ready. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. He's got a very Omega Man mentality. Oh, so he's going to, on one of his motorcycles, he's going to yeah, be the no, one Yeah, no, he's literally, eh, the shit's going to hit the fan. We're going to be here. Well, Zombies I, are coming. I, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, something's going to hit the fan, but it's probably not going to be as spectacular as we all thought. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a slow. slow. Yeah, slow, yeah. But I, First, uh, the apes are pets. <laughs> 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 then they're helping you make the bed. <laughs> you, you were kind of obsessed with the planet of the I apes. I certainly right? am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Endless analogy. Yeah. As I say, like, I once had a psychiatrist tell me, like, well, of course, you were raised by alcoholics and you understand that uh, his, he's trapped in a world that he knows is insane, but everyone else thinks is normal. That's how you were raised. I was like, yeah, there's that. And there's also just like, you know, Moses dressed like Tarzan <laughs> being chased by a King Kong dressed like Fonzie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just good entertainment. It's just fun. I just yeah. when I saw the commercial when I was nine, it just yeah, made you, my head explode. Yeah. How, how could you not love that? How could you not love it? All right, Dana. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate you oh, making so the time. Oh, so great. As they say, how do you get to Eagle Rock? Practice. <laughs> Dana Gould. Okay, folks, that was Dana Gould. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm still sitting out in front of uh, a laundromat in Brookline, Massachusetts, waiting for my clothes. Uh, I will be in London when you hear this at the Soho Theater. I, I hope you're around. Uh, what am I saying? If you're in London, come see me. I'll be at the Soho Theater. I'd love to meet some uh, what-the-fuckers out there. And please go to WTFPod.com and you know kick us a little bread if you can. Get on the mailing list, please. Been very diligent about keeping in touch with you guys. Get some JustCoffee.coop. Go to PunchlineMagazine.com. Go to StandUpRecords.com. Go to AudiblePodcast.com slash WTFPod. Get your free audiobook download. I'm in England. I hope it's going well. I'll let you know. You know I will. Okay, you guys. Talk to you later. <laughs>